So you know how inside your your body you have a bunch of guts. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So imagine those weren't in your body anymore. Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport, and I'm Evan Hirsch. And today we're talking about Doom, the classic video game Doom, but not not just Doom generally but specifically the absolute mess that was the official doom port to the 3do console oh my god i so okay i did not know so you told me that we were doing doom before this and my thought was okay it's gonna be the snes port but three i didn't know this existed (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean the 3do it isn't like in most people's heads anymore i don't Mm -hmm. think it's it no. was never really relevant. The 3DO was one of those like CD sort of like 32-bit entertainment systems, right? It competed with yeah. like the CDI. It was they the, all of those more or less fail. And none of them really gained any traction when it came to like competing with the Super Nintendo, the eventual PlayStation, various other systems. Yeah, we're going to get to the 3DO specifically in a little bit. But first, I wanted to ask you, what do you know about the original Doom game? What's your what's your take on Doom? Uh, what's my take on Doom? From a, from a game perspective of like, it is a video game that I enjoy playing. Uh, it's a great video game. And I, I love it. And I should play it more than I have. Um, I, I mostly play the, the new Doom primarily is the one that I got into. And I still haven't finished that or gotten over to Eternal yet. But I know... Very little, actually, of its development history. Shockingly little. Yeah, I've played Doom on a bunch of different stuff. I've played it on an actual Intel 386 laptop. Um, Mm -hmm. I have it on my Switch, and I haven't played much of it because I just keep getting lost in the levels. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's It's very easy to get lost in. 100%. It's an incredibly easy game to get lost in, especially, like, the newer ones have uh, more readable maps and traversable terrain it's tough to figure out where the keys are and what things are buttons it but outside of that it holds up shockingly well oh yeah it's it's still it's still pretty fun so doom was released in december of 1993 for the pc it wasn't available on any consoles at first and it was developed by id software it was a first-person shooter game where you play as a Marine on the planet Mars. And on Mars, there is a uh, company called the Union Aerospace Corporation that was performing experiments with interdimensional travel. And they accidentally open a gate to hell. As one does. Yeah. Easy mistake to make. Of course. And you have creatures from hell swarming this facility on mars i think it's specifically on like one of mars's moons but mm-hmm. anyway so you're a marine guy and you have to shoot the hell demons stop them from coming through it was released as a shareware title so originally you could get the first episode of the game for free either on the internet if you had internet at that time or floppy disks with the first episode were pretty easy to get in magazines or whatever else and then you could order the full game in the mail from id software it wasn't even sold in retail stores at first it was only mail order and this ended up being a really successful model for id software because everyone could just get the first episode 
and then they would usually buy the rest of the game. Doom was really influential for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was just more graphically impressive than most other PC games at the time. It had a lot of innovations in 3D rendering in the game that were really cool in 1993. Also, the game was very moddable, so custom levels for Doom were very common. It software made a couple... Like, you could even go to game stores and like on the shelves they would have boxes of custom doom levels it was just yeah it was yeah it was very popular i didn't know that that's that's interesting um and one thing also interesting about doom is that most people credit doom with kind of like popularizing the first person shooter which it did but it, it also is a successor to um its wolfenstein series in some ways right and that original Wolfenstein game was like really cool and it was the original shooter, but also when compared to Doom, right? The original Wolfenstein game was just you're running around in corridors. There's no like physical surfaces and levels and there's no like it the actual terrain itself of the of the levels is so sparse in comparison with what Doom was able to create that Doom was just a massive leap up. Yeah, definitely. Wolfenstein sort of had, like, if you visualize it in your head, it's like more of a corn maze than a game. There's no, right, there's no elevation, there's no multiple levels, or multiple physical levels, like, in in terms of height. But Doom has all of that. Mm -hmm. Doom has all of that, and it's pretty impressive. It was. Um, So, yeah, so Doom is a big deal. It still is a big deal. Because Doom ends up being so successful on the PC, it's kind of a no-brainer to start bringing it to consoles and other platforms. So within the first couple years of Doom's existence, it gets ported to the Macintosh, the Atari Jaguar, Sega 32X, PlayStation 1, Sega Saturn, basically everywhere. Because everyone loves Doom, so if you can get Doom on a console, it's going to sell really well. Exactly. So now that we have that background... Let's talk about the 3DO for a minute. So the 3DO Interactive Multiplayer, which was the actual name of the console, this was developed by the 3DO company in 1993. Their actual company was called the 3DO company, which I'm actually a fan of that because it makes this story much easier to explain. (laughs) I don't have to say the company that made the 3DO. It's just the 3DO company. Founded by Electronic Arts founder. Amazing. Oh, yeah. So the 3DO was basically a super console. So it was very high-end for the time. It had a CD drive, which was rare at this time. It might have been the first console with a CD drive. I'm not entirely sure. But it had a CD drive. It had a 32-bit ARM CPU. It had 2 megabytes of RAM, 1 megabyte of video memory. And it had a multitasking operating system. So it was very good at doing multiple things at once. It had a few other unique features going for it. There was no regional lockout or copy protection in the console. So, you know, you could buy games from anywhere for the 3DO and they would work on any 3DO. And it was really easy to copy games and also to make your own 3DO software and just burn it to a CD and put in the console and play it. Right. So it had something of a homebrew scene just because it was so easy to do that. You didn't have to override anything. Yeah, I, I know the um, the Dreamcast had a similar issue as well. Uh, there, uh, there are a lot of early disc-based systems that had very relaxed copy protection. And 
that in many ways did work for the detriment of some systems like the Dreamcast. And it's actually, according to Nintendo, the official explanation for why the GameCube used like mini DVDs. That seems like a Nintendo thing to do. It absolutely, it absolutely is a Nintendo solution to that problem. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the 3DO always it was just one of those kind of like black sheep consoles launched in the, the mid-90s that didn't really gain traction and is mostly known for just really weird, obscure games and is not even often said in the same sentence of with like any of its competitors ever. Yeah. And one of the reasons it doesn't really succeed is because the business model for the 3DO was pretty different than other consoles. With pretty much all video game consoles, you have the company making the console and also publishing the games for it. Like, you know, with the Nintendo Switch, Nintendo distributes all the Switch games. Mm-hmm. So they can subsidize the price of the console with sales they get from video game revenue but the 3do company itself doesn't actually manufacture the console it just creates the hardware platform for other companies to use sort of like sony with blu-ray right Mm -hmm. they made like the blu-ray standard and a lot of the core software for making a blu-ray player and then they just license that to whoever wants to build a blu-ray player so the 3do company itself didn't make any of the consoles that happened with panasonic uh, Gold Star made, I believe, at least one, which is now LG, and also uh, Sanyo made uh, 3DO consoles. So the first 3DO console that actually ends up being sold was the Panasonic FZ1, which was priced at a whopping $699.99 in the United States. Jeez. And adjusted for inflation in 2021, that is $1,325. That is insane. You're right. The video game console market is just based on subsidizing, right? Which And they can't do that. They can't because it's just a totally different model than something like Xbox. Disclosure, I work for Microsoft, but not Xbox. It's it's a totally different like realm because with consoles, uh, you want to get in the door cheap and then you want to make money just based on those software sales and services sales and all those various other things. But that's, I guess, why that this whole... The CDI had a similar licensing model too, right? Like, it it also had a similar problem. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we kind of know. And funny enough, uh, this kind of problem almost happened 20 years later with Valve Steam Machines, right? Like, if you think yeah. about it, because it's the, it's the same problem as when you say, we're going to make a video game console... But the hardware manufacturers have to make a profit on the hardware. What you essentially end up with is something that's just overly expensive, too expensive to be sold as a video game console and just ultimately kind of fails. And also, the you know, the 3DO isn't just a video game console. It was kind of envisioned as like this high end all in one media thing. So it would have games, but also it could play CDs, which was a new thing at the time. But uh, it, it didn't work out well for 3DO, spoiler alert. Uh, they, <laughs> right. didn't, they didn't sell a lot of these. Nope. You're not going on eBay looking for how much 3DOs get scalped for these days. So something so something must have happened, right, between here and there that just kind of like, you know, yeah. did that. And outside of the fact that just commercially it wasn't a success, right, the thing was pretty impressive 
Yeah, it was it was definitely it had higher end hardware than what basically every other console had at the time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just expensive because they couldn't subsidize the hardware. It was also expensive because they went they shot for the moon. Right. They were trying real hard with basically everything that the other companies were attempting to work with. Everybody knew that discs were the next frontier for game storage, except Nintendo at the time, who except basically Nintendo. Just, <laughs> who just kept going with cartridges until like yeah. 2001. And everyone just knew the industry was moving towards just having way more storage space than ever was possible on a cartridge. Yeah. So with all of the hype surrounding the 3DO, a pretty new video game publisher called Art Data Interactive, which was founded by this guy named Randy Scott, which we'll get back to, this company obtains the rights to port Doom to the 3DO. And, you know, this is just a publishing company. There's no one at this company that actually knows how to develop games. So they contract a company called Logicware to actually do the development work on the port. And at the time, the lead programmer and co-founder at Logicware was a person named Rebecca Heinemann. Do you know anything about Rebecca Heinemann by any chance? Oh, actually, I have have no clue. She was a co-founder of Interplay Productions, which made the first two Fallout games. Um, She worked at Contraband Entertainment. She, She worked on a lot of like classic 90s and 80s computer games, basically. So she's worked on a lot of stuff. At this time, she has her own development company she's helping run. She's also known online and a lot of other places as Burger Becky, because when she worked at other companies, she often stored hamburgers in her desk at work. Oh my god. Yeah, what a legend. She ends up being the sole developer for this 3DO Doom porting job. Really? Yes. Logicware was tasked with porting Doom to the 3DO in August of 1995, but the big holdup was that Art Data Interactive wanted it ready for sale by Christmas of that year in 1995. Very short time frame here. However, Art Data Interactive did tell Logicware that this 3DO port was already partially developed. Logicware just had to finish it. And all that can be done in the time frame they're asking for, it would just be a little bit of a rush job. So Logicware agreed, and they signed a contract to start working on the port. However, problems start almost immediately with this port. So after they signed contracts, Rebecca Heinemann asked for the incomplete source code from the publisher because they said work had already been done. However, when she calls Art Data Interactive, they say to just start without it. What? Yeah. That's yeah. That's not how that works. No, yeah, no, you can't do. How do I explain um, this? If you if you're not software, if, if you're not someone who writes software, I'd say the best way to describe it is like uh, imagine trying. Imagine you're supposed to be translating a book, right, right before it comes out. So you can't go and buy the book, and they're like, okay, start translating the book, and you're like, can I have a copy of the book? And they're like, no. Yeah, like you can't. You can't really do anything. If you it's, don't have, like, yeah. It's impossible. There's, what can be done? So Rebecca Heinemann pushes them on that because, like, she needs the source code. Mm-hmm. And Art Data Interactive sends her a retail copy of Doom, which is not the source code. And she already <laughs> had that because she's played Doom before. That's amazing. This is, 
I know this is already great. It's already terrible. This is already off to a really bad start. Like, I don't want to see where else it goes, but actually I do. After that, Heinemann spends basically a week trying to get this source code for the 3DO port that supposedly exists from Art Data Interactive. And she also tries to contact the 3DO company, which, um, you know, is supposed to be helping a little bit in this effort. Neither of those companies seem to have this source code. So finally, Rebecca Heinemann contacts John Carmack at id Software, who is, you know, the main developer on Doom for the PC, the original game. John Carmack actually helps her out. He sends her a copy of the Doom PC source code, mm-hmm. and he sends her the source code for the console port to the Atari Jaguar. Oh, that's useful. Yeah. So not really what she was looking for, but still infinitely better than what Art Data Interactive was doing. 100%. So now she has some code to start with, but like she really needs what has already been accomplished because she only has a few months to make all this happen. So she eventually just gets in her car and drives to Art Data Interactive's office and talks to the CEO, Randy Scott. This is where, you know, according to her own account of all this happening, this is where she realizes that the CEO has no idea how video games work. Like, just absolutely no clue. When she gets to the office and she asks for, like, everything that's been done on the game so far, he gives her the marketing material. Like, the, the screenshots in the, that they made for the press and, and everything else like that. No, no software stuff, no source code. Just screenshots. And the screenshots aren't even from a game that supposedly exists. They're photoshopped from the PC version. Go on. And like, again, like according to her, he just thinks that like you take the pictures and you just like put them into the game. Right. That's not how any of this works. Right. You draw the rest of the owl here. I don't get what's so hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it's just like i mean on uh, half the time you know i draw a stick figure and then it's just like you know simple just python yeah. import game uh and yeah and then go. it just shows up on your xbox yeah absolutely so this is finally when hyman finally learns like oh there's no source code this guy just doesn't understand anything what's <laughs> how any of this works right and so she goes back to her office and she calls the 3DO company and basically tells them, like, there's no way I can do this by Christmas. Because mm-hmm. now she has to do everything. Right. Right. There's no there's no starting base for her to, to start working from. She has to do it all. Mm-hmm. And the 3DO company basically begs her not to quit <laughs> or to try her best. Because at this point, Doom has been advertised for the 3DO for months. So there's people who probably have already bought a 3DO waiting for the game or are planning to buy a 3DO. Mm-hmm. And they're just getting a lot of good press for there being a Doom port in development. Like this is a thing people are excited for. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of reputation at stake for this port to come out. So yeah, they basically just are like, pretty please don't quit. We really need you right now. <laughs> yeah. And so Heinemann's like, okay, like it's not going to be good. It's going to be like the biggest rush job of all time, but I'll, I'll try it. Yeah. So she goes back, she starts working on the game, and she starts from the source code for the Atari Jaguar port instead of the original PC game, because a lot of the work that would be required for bringing Doom to a console was already done, mm-hmm. right? 
So it already had optimized levels that didn't have quite as complex geometry, so they could run better on a console. It already had some performance tweaks that were needed on on lower end hardware. Because Doom at this time, like you need a good PC for it. It's it doesn't run on just anything. Right. So a lot of that work would have just been optimizing stuff, and a lot of that was already done for the Jaguar. And the I mean the the Jaguar, granted, is like. I would assume way lower spec than like the 3DO, right? But even so, you still need a, you still want so, a lot yeah. of that work. You still need a lot of that work right. because it's uh, at least yeah. Because there's no time. <laughs> there's no time, and it's not as good as a computer, and you need to do something. And and that Atari Jaguar code actually ends up being the source for basically all of the ports of Doom until we get to like the Xbox 360 PS3 era when they can just run regular PC Doom on a console and it doesn't take any, it's it's not difficult. So most of the versions of Doom for consoles are based on that Jaguar port. Mm-hmm. She still had to do a lot of work to make the Doom engine run on the 3DO. So in 3DO Doom, the walls and skies of the game were rendered by the 3DO with hardware acceleration. But the 3DO did not have hardware support for perspective correction for polygons, which meant that all of the floors and everything else in the game had to be rendered with software, which oh, slows down performance a lot. Yeah, I would assume the, the the Jaguar didn't have that either, right? How did she overcome that or did she? Basically, her solution to this was just optimize the software rendering as much as she could. So she actually ends up rewriting a lot of the Doom engine in assembly code for the ARM chip in the 3DO. It's still not good performance, but like it's it's almost playable. It's almost good. Wow. Again, this isn't a high level. We're just recompiling code for the 3DO. Like she's she's rewriting a lot of Doom's engine code to make this work. And yeah. she's doing this in a very short time frame. And that's that's especially impressive because, like, again, Doom's engine at the time was completely groundbreaking. There wasn't anything like it. The fact that she was able to just rewrite this in such short time is insane. Yeah, and it it speaks to how good of a programmer she was. Mm-hmm. This was this was really difficult work. And even though she said, like, in her account of all this, that like she just didn't leave her office for most of this time period, yeah. but like that's still like. A lot of work that you have to do. Even though she's on a very tight timeline, she does actually implement a couple cool things in the 3DO version of the game. So, you know, when you're playing a shooter game on just like a modern console and you move the joystick a little bit and that first like half second of movement is is slow. So you get a more precise positioning and then like it ramps up as you keep holding down in a direction. You, you mean like, what is it, aiming acceleration? Right. Yeah. Yeah, she implements this in Doom for the 3DO, which is pretty cool at the time. Not a, I don't know if any other games really had this at really? this point. That's yeah. wild. So she, she implemented one of the first like ever aiming accelerations. And that's yeah incredibly important for console shooters to this day. <laughs> it's one of the things that you tweak and it's one of the, it, it's one of the things that makes it playable. Yeah, so like even when when this game is done and it doesn't run well, spoiler, it's one of the better console ports of Doom for that reason. Like it just controls very well. 
That's it's, really smart. It, it doesn't perform well, but right. it you know it feels nice. <laughs> and that's that's pretty important because it wasn't until okay, um, it wasn't until Halo again disclosure that 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 uh, console um that console first person shooters really like felt at home with joysticks right. and the what is it um aiming acceleration was a one of the first major innovations to really make that journey possible because when the problem is that you need to essentially use a single stick to do two different types of things thing one is essentially like very small corrections to to get the gun reticle over the actual like enemy target and the other one is like vast sweeping movements both of which are way easier with a mouse and a lot harder on an analog stick just due to the nature of it you don't have a lot of degrees of freedom so like right. she 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 was one of the first people to create movement acceleration or or that type of acceleration that is awesome. While she was under immense pressure to make yeah. the game playable at all. <laughs> yeah no while yeah which is wild. My favorite part of this whole story we finally got to which is the music. So can you describe what like the difference between regular recorded audio is and like midi music sure yeah so with regular recorded audio right you're essentially saving sound waves uh you're saving sound waves you're saving them into essentially a a file where they can be recorded and played back more or less exactly how they were captured by the recording device right this is fine and this is a great way to record captured music or to record captured music but this is pretty big. So like actually glancing over to the left at, at one of my monitors, my current audio recording file for this very podcast is right now about 433 megabytes as of right. as of this recording. And that's a that's a bit uh, before the advent of like CDs and game consoles like that's basically impossible. Right. You cannot put that much music on the cartridge. There, there's not enough flash storage. So how do you program music? The the answer is you essentially have the these consoles essentially have these things called sound chips and a sound chip is well chip or processor or board that can receive instructions uh, and play specific sounds back from the system when those instructions are received. So I'd say the way to think of it is a regular audio recording is like you know you open up a recording on your phone and you hit the record button, but a sort of MIDI or a sound chip on a console is the equivalent of if you have a digital piano and you play the piano and record those piano keys. The piano doesn't need to like memorize the sound that it makes because it knows the sound that it makes. So instead, all it has to memorize is what notes are played and in what order and at what time. That basically makes the entire thing way smaller, more efficient, and saves a bunch of room in the actual uh, storage of the, the game. Because, again, even at the time, right, the, the 3DL and all these various other consoles were still using CDs, not DVDs. So even even though the CD, like, opened up an insane amount of, um, vari- uh, insane amount of, like, data potential, space was still... You don't want to fill the whole thing up. Right. Like, a MIDI is... It's almost like the digital version of like a 
music sheet. Exactly. That's the that's yeah, the like clear your computer is playing from the music sheet with its sound chip instead of just playing back a a stream of of audio. Exactly. Yeah. And this is what basically every single video game console up until I'd say the, the what the GameCube era, the X original Xbox, PlayStation Two, when DVDs kind of became the norm, um, moved away from using sound chips uh, and moved towards just like having sound files present on the DVD that were played back. Uh, and this is also why, like, if you say, for example. The the actual individual devices have different types of sound chips, and it's why if you play a game on an any Super Nintendo and a Genesis, a lot of the times those two versions of the same game just sound totally different because they had the the consoles had different sound chips and different capabilities. Right, or like a lot of emulators for these early systems, the music in games sounds a little bit different because they're they're trying to recreate what the sound chip was doing, and they might not have it exactly right. Yeah, it, it's pretty hard to 100% replicate that. Yeah. So the the original PC version of Doom used MIDI music for exactly that reason, right? We didn't have a lot of storage. It needed to fit on a couple floppy disks. This is how you did it. Yep. The Atari Jaguar version, I believe, also used MIDI music, but the Jaguar was not powerful enough to play music while you were playing Doom. So the music only what? played when you were paused, like when the pause menu shows up. However, one of the benefits of the 3DO that Heinemann really wanted to use was that it could play CD music during gameplay fairly easily because of that multitasking operating system and just because it was really high-end hardware. So because there wasn't really a lot of music in the Jaguar version and because the 3DO could basically do like CD audio during games, she really wanted to redo the music. So she recorded the music soundtrack from PC Doom onto cassette tapes and then sent Mm -hmm. those tapes to the CEO of Art Data Interactive because he was the guitarist in a church band. So while Hyman is spending time working on this game, Randy Scott, the CEO, is basically doing live recordings of all of the tracks in PC Doom for this 3DL port, which is just hilarious. Also because up until this point, Randy has been completely useless. <laughs> and now he's doing like the music, which arguably is the most important part of any Doom game, if we're, if we're being honest here. It's true. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen to At Doom's Gate from the PC version of Doom, which is like the main Doom theme that I'm sure you've heard 500 times. Oh, we're of listen course. listen to it again. 100%. So we're going to listen to that. And then we're going to listen to Randy's cover for the 3DO. Okay. All right, I'm ready.
I I love it. Um, it's you know it makes me want to just chainsaw some demons right here. This is only very slightly remixed in the in the new Doom. Yeah, yeah, they did a cover of this for Doom twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. That was in at least one of the levels, and it was still pretty good. Like this is still really good music. This is really good. Yeah, I mean you can you can hear just. Even in the MIDI files, right? What essentially supposed to sound like a guitar, right? And like, you yeah. know, you have the sort of like electric guitar sound. You have more or less the exact type of music that this game needs. Uh, and done pretty well within a MIDI format, too. So now that you have a taste mm-hmm. of the original Doom music, we're going to listen to that same song from the 3DO version. Sure. Wow, this is this is fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I know it's I'm really in, good. I am, I am, I am in, I am in total awe of how because I've never heard this before, which is wild because you think this would be a thing that I would have heard before because of how good it is. Yeah, and like everything leading up to this point would lead you to assume that this would also be a mess because everything sure before this point is also a mess and everything after this is a mess but this is shockingly good for some reason like randy can play the guitar he maybe doesn't understand how video games work but he can play the guitar 100 percent. and yeah again going back to what i was saying before is like with the advent of like cds for game storage and everything she can just more or less put these entire audio files on the 3do and just skip the sound card altogether so this was the first time that Doom was going to be ported to a console with CD storage. That was one cool thing they could do with the 3DO, was put in full quality live music while you were playing Doom. Another cool thing that they could potentially do that they never ended up going along with was full motion video. Because mm. that was that was the thing to do in the 90s if you had something that could store an entire video file. Oh yeah, uh, it was it was what the Sega CD, which was Sega's add-on for the Genesis, that actually now that I'm thinking about, it, I should probably buy. Um, <laughs> I want one. Um, the, yeah, like half the games for that were like FMV stuff. Yep, they were all half FMV, including the infamous Night Trap, which was like you know yelled at for quote unquote adult content, even though it basically didn't have any. Even even games that didn't revolve around FMV, such as Sonic CD. Now you've really tapped into my uh, 
knowledge of the Sega CD. <laughs> even, even games that really didn't do the that. Sega like, CD lore. Yeah, I love the Sega CD. I want one. Uh, even, even games that didn't like really do that, like Sonic CD, right? Still were like, hey, you know, we, we've got a CD. We can like CD now. We can just do cool stuff. And yeah. we're going to just create this whole full motion video intro, like hand-drawn animation, even though they had to like squish it down a bunch. Um, but what would what were they even thinking of doing for Doom in terms of full motion video? I don't entirely know because it never really happened. Mm-hmm. So what Art Data Interactive did again? Our 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 boy Randy. Our boy Randy. Our boy Randy tried to look for additional investors for this part because you know filming video for a game costs more money. You know he has to go out and buy a flip camera. Mm-hmm. You know has to buy iMovie these. This costs money. They do. So they never actually get the funds to work on full motion video sequences for Doom. But they did make a couple still images that were like kind of what they wanted the full motion video to be. And I'll send you one scene. Mm. This was of the Cyber Demon, which is like if you look at the box art for Doom, that's the main bad guy on the box. Mm -hmm. Can you just paint a word picture for us of that sure um so you know how inside your your body you have a bunch of guts (laughs) (laughs) right so imagine those weren't in your body anymore and instead you had um what was essentially how to describe it uh a a giant devil man you know feasted on him and you're just kind of lying on a table i guess that's a very generous way of describing it it looks (laughs) it doesn't look very real (laughs) No, uh, it's it. It looks like if the Cyber Demon in Doom was like a character at Disney World, you could go meet and get and take a picture with him. Yeah, and he's like eating the remains of a person, but also it's mm-hmm. it's a very poor green screen effect, and the background is just like a texture. Yeah, I'd also like to point out what this person is wearing that the demon is feasting upon, because it's like this person is not wearing like future stuff. The person is wearing like essentially a white dress shirt and camo ca- like camo pants. That's a, that's standard uniform at Mars, don't you know? It's sta- yeah, you know that's it's it's Business Tuesdays at the UAC Mars base. <laughs> yeah, Casual Friday. <laughs> <laughs> they've got to they've got to get their quarterly reports in. But yeah, it's it's not very convincing. But also, to be totally fair to this, I don't think any FMV stuff at this time was even slightly convincing. No, no, it all looked cheesy. It all looked cheesy. It all looks like hilariously bad. First off, the video quality was less at that point. But on top of that, they had to digitize it and then compress it. Yeah. Generally speaking, a lot of these CD-based games, like even though you have way more space on a CD than you did on like a cartridge, you still can't load the thing up with a bunch of high-quality video files. So most of the time, these CD-based games in like the the early to mid-90s, generally speaking, had compressed video files and, and they had borders a lot of the time around the actual like video itself and made it smaller than the actual width and height of the screen. So maybe it would have looked better than I'm giving it for uh, credit for looking at this on my Retina Max screen. <laughs> um, but regardless, it's it. I'm, I'm still trying to think of like, again, Doom is not a very story driven game. So I'm trying to think of like what this could be used for. 
Yeah, again, I don't I don't know because I didn't get very far with this, but maybe just between levels, I guess they would do a short video scene or something. I don't I don't know. So one of the other issues Rebecca Heinemann runs into trying to port Doom to the 3DO is because she does not have enough time to optimize all of this, and because the 3DO is missing hardware support for some of the stuff that Doom really needs, she had to limit the game to a very small resolution for the 3DO. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, nowadays, like, this is still a thing that happens. A lot of the games on the Nintendo Switch, for example... They use the full width and height of the display, but the actual resolution of like the 3D parts is lower. Right. The game is rendering text and maybe some other UI elements in full resolution, but the actual game is like lower resolution that's been stretched out. Like you're stretching a computer image, basically. I guess you're, you're, it's upscaling it, right? Like you're taking right. a, a smaller resolution image and you're just blowing it up to make it look bigger. Right. Now, the issue in 1993 is that PCs and consoles really couldn't upscale images quickly, so you couldn't do that. Right. So what Doom on the PC did, if you had a computer that wasn't super high spec, what you could do is basically shrink the window of the 3D part of the game. So the bottom of your screen that has your ammunition and your health and the other UI stays at its original resolution, but the mm -hmm. actual 3D part in the center of the screen would, would shrink. It would take up a smaller area in mm -hmm. the screen. And, and this is what happened on the 3DL, or was it different? Well, this happened with basically every console port of Doom, at least initially. All the console ports of Doom ran the game in a slightly smaller window than like the main resolution of the console. Mm-hmm the window on Doom for the 3DO was much smaller. I don't know if it's taking up like half the screen, like 50%, but Oof. it's it's not, it's not a lot. It's pretty rough. Right. However, around this time, the 3DO company was planning on releasing an upgraded console with better hardware. So in theory, some of these performance optimizations that Heinemann's doing might not be necessary on a new model. So the 3DO company basically asked her, like, hey, can you just, like, add a setting to make the game go full screen so that when we do make a second 3DO, which, spoiler alert, never happened, but when we make a second 3DO, it can take full advantage of the better hardware and just run in full screen. Heinemann does this, but she does it in, like, a cheat code. So I, mm. I think it was if you press like certain buttons or something, then the game will run in basically full screen. Interestingly, even though the new 3DO never came out, the hardware specifications for what it would have been are public. So what really? people have done is they've taken emulators for the 3DO and basically like overclocked them to match roughly what the new 3DO would have been. And the game does run better and, and even does like the full screen resolution. So had it come out, Doom on it would have been fine. That's really cool, actually. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that they that there was been a that there's a public successor or that we know what the successor to the 3DO would have been. So by November of 1996, the game was about as ready for release as Rebecca Heinemann could make it. However, Art Data Interactive CEO Randy Scott was upset that the extra guns and levels from the marketing materials were not in this version. Because again, there's no time. There wasn't actually any work done. Those images were photoshopped. Right. 
at this point, he offered to double the payment to Logicware for this whole port, which would have been $40,000 if just one new level could be added. And again, like there's no time, like no amount of money yeah. would make that possible before Christmas. This is the bargaining phase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's, yeah. that's Ex- where he is at this point. Acceptance comes later. Yeah. I mean, explains to him like, I, you can't do this. The game has to be ready in seven days to go through quality assurance. When she says that, I, again, according to her, Randy basically just says like, can you just download one from the internet? Which is maybe one of the more intelligent things he's done throughout this. But again, like Heinemann had to make so many modifications to the Doom engine that that's not easy either. Right. It doesn't render levels and interact with information in the same way as like the regular Doom game. So even that would be weeks and weeks of effort. Yeah, she has to essentially do work on the actual levels in order to get them to run within it. The the modified engine she's created. Right. So that doesn't happen either. Art Data Interactive ends up ordering 50,000 copies of the game, Mm -hmm. even though there were only an estimated 250,000 3DO consoles in the United States by 1996. Oh my God. So not quite like a Pac-Man on the Atari 2600 situation where you've ordered more games than there are consoles in existence, but still, still way out of proportion. Yeah, that's not right. So this does meet its Christmas deadline, but uh, it's it's not good. Really? Yeah, really. So <laughs> wow. I will send you a some gameplay video. I'm very excited for this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you see how tiny the Doom game is. <laughs> and it's also like running at at 24 frames per second. Yeah. The window of the game is like half of the screen, like 50%, maybe smaller than the actual screen. It's definitely like 50% or something, but just that the thing about 50% of a screen looks way smaller than 50%, right? Um, Just just because of just, I guess, the the math of the pixels and everything. And the music cuts out sometimes when there's too much going on. At least it visually looks like Doom, right? Like, that's, that's interesting. And... I don't. I mean, honestly, what I the the most I gather from this is like, is there any way that we can the Doom Switch version can put like a toggle that gives me this soundtrack? <laughs> like that's really yeah. what I want. This soundtrack on top of regular Doom is incredible. Yeah, I know the music's so good. It has no right to be this good, and it's it's incredible because this is literally just some guy's church band. There's nothing more perfect than a church band to play music about killing demons. Yeah. Just like Jesus would have wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely is a train wreck, but I, I feel like the fact that this even exists, given the constraints that she had to work with, is impressive in general. The fact that a end product was created out of this absolute mess is an incredible story. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to just look at this in the abstract and say, wow, that port sucks. I feel bad for anyone who was waiting for this. But again, this was made in a matter of weeks mm-hmm. in a time where game development took much longer, even for simple stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. Like even just, you know, this started in August and it had to be ready by Christmas. But again, like the actual coding part had to be done by November because it had to go through 
quality testing and then they actually had to print discs yeah. to have this ready and on store shelves mm-hmm. the end product does not look good but considering everything that led up to its release it's absolutely incredible this is playable at all yeah just because of the way that modern game development works with essentially updates and day one patches the concept of like going gold which is when your game gets pressed to a disc and that disc is essentially sent to the manufacturer to make more discs it was more of a thing before the the internet age than it is now where like now it's like okay this is the thing that the the discs ship but you know we're still working on the game until it launches yeah, there there were no internet patches for the 3DO. It's just absolutely incredible. So if you want to go watch this video, watch some gameplay, um, everything's in the show notes. So you can go you can go marvel at the low end quality of this game. Um, but unsurprisingly, this didn't get great reviews when it came out. And Art Data Interactive basically collapsed long after this because, again, they ordered way too many copies for this game that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And so they, I'm sure they had a lot of inventory left over that no one wanted. But even though that whole situation was a mess, the story does have kind of a good ending. In November of 2014, Rebecca Heinemann released the source code for this game on GitHub. Mm-hmm. So you can actually go and look at all the code she made. So if you're interested in like early video game programming, I'm sure that's a treat to read through. Mm-hmm. And someone did actually take this code and tried to make a full Doom source port out of it. And in 2019, we got the final release of Phoenix Doom, which was a source port based on the code that Heinemann released. And it was available for Windows, Linux, and Mac. So you had to have the original disk or like an image of the disk. But Phoenix Doom does fix basically all the issues with 3DO Doom. So it plays at higher resolutions because this isn't 1993 anymore. We have good resolutions now for video games. It improves the texture mapping, which was an issue on the retail release. And it has a bunch of bug fixes. And it's pretty cool. It's basically how this would have ended up if Heinemann had like months to work on this, probably. Yeah, no, this this seemed like a cool way to kind of make lemonade out of lemons, you know, and, and basically say, hey, this port wasn't all that it could be. But like, if you want to experience it with updated modern sensibilities, like here it is. And I think there's been various other projects that have done this in the past, but I'm forgetting them off the top of my head. But it's always really cool when effort is essentially put into taking a game that wasn't all it could be and making it, you know, the way it should have been. Yeah. And I like that it gives a nice ending to all of this. It's like, hey, you know, it took 20 years, but we got a we got a good port out of it. <laughs> exactly. We got a, you know. Not, not, not for the 3DO, though. No. Uh, well, the, yeah, the, the 3D had a bad ending, but um, yeah, the it, it definitely is cool that like at the very least this saga ends with some good coming out of it. <laughs>